Hello, Shocker Nation. Welcome to the December 2022 edition of Forward Together Podcast. Today, I'm here with one of the driving forces behind the evolution and advancement of research at Wichita State University, Dr. John Tomlin. Since 2004, Dr. Tomlin has grown the university's aerospace engineering R&D portfolio from 20 million in 2004 to more than 190 million today. Through his work as Senior Vice President for Industry and Defense and Executive Director of Wichita State's acclaimed National Institute for Aviation Research, Dr. Tomlin has been integral in the development and expansion of the Innovation Campus, NIAR's Digital Twin Program, and the rapid growth of NIAR Works MRO Program, among so many other things. John, it's good to see you today. Thanks for coming in to do the podcast. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. You know, uh, we've known each other for a long time. We have. We started uh, actually the same month back in 1994. That's right. Tell the listeners uh, your journey here at Wichita State so far. Sure. So uh, I graduated from uh, West Virginia University. Uh, this has been my first and only job. So I graduated. I did all three degrees at West Virginia, and then uh, I got offered a job to come out to be a professor in aerospace engineering at Wichita State in 1994. So uh, I took that job and haven't looked back since. And you became, uh, along the way, more recently, you became uh, the director, executive director of NIAR and um, other different kind of roles. Tell us a little bit more about some of the things that you have uh, started to uh, supervise over the years sure. and, and what you've been doing. Sure. Well, back in 1994, I guess I was the first experiment of a faculty member uh, in a joint uh, role with NIAR. So I split my time between the College of Engineering and NIAR. And in and, and NIAR, I did, the, uh, I did a lot of research in Composites Lab, and then I became the director of the Composites Lab soon after that. And um, about in 99, 2000 timeframe, uh, my teaching, my research became so, uh, uh, it, it, it took so much time that, Getting in the classroom was harder, and then I became the R&D director, uh, then the executive director, and then went on from that to be the uh, vice president of research when Dr. Bardo was here. And then uh, um, then that role, as NIAR kept growing, I, of course, you know we started the division of industry and defense, so I'm now the senior vice president of industry and defense. Yeah. And so just so the listeners understand what NIAR stands for, National Institute for Aviation Research, Tell us how that started. Um, what was uh, the key things that happened along the way, sure. and what's its what's its purpose? Sure, and actually started in the early '80s uh, when we were looking to support. You know, Wichita's always been known ever since the '40s as the air capital of the world, and as as, as that began to grow. Um, of course, Wichita State being in, in the in the heart of Wichita, how can we support the air capital of the world better? And uh, why don't we have a center of excellence in aviation? And that became NIAR as we know it. Uh, so uh, entered. Actually, they wrote a proposal. It was it was turned down as a proposal for the National Science Foundation. A lot of people don't know that. It was an unfunded proposal, and I always tell faculty members. The unfunded proposal just means it's not funded right now. So that, I'm glad they didn't turn it down. Uh, and they kept working at that and uh, with a lot of help from people like Senator Bob Dole at that time and, and other people from around the nation, we, uh, we established that NIAR on, on the campus. So the, <clears throat> the Center for Excellence, the purpose of it is, is the way I understand it is instead of 
aircraft companies here in Wichita developing their own uh, labs, research, R&D kinds of space. This served a purpose that all of them can use. Is that Absolutely. True? And, and, and then a lot of people uh, don't understand the origins of that as well. And it actually the, it originated, or originated back in 1943, uh, where Walter Beach and Clyde Cessna, both of them wanted to have a wind tunnel. Uh, they, they didn't use it continually, so they agreed that, that let's, let's develop one where we could use it together. And But where are we going to put it? We need a Switzerland-type place to put it. And they chose the University of Wichita at that time to put it. So, And it was actually Walter Beach who uh, gave $80,000 to the University of Wichita to put the Walter Beach wind tunnel here. So that heritage has always been there of developing a, a, a laboratory, an environment where companies can, can come and uh, research their products. Yeah. And you can still see that wind tunnel. It's the Absolutely. original wind yes. tunnel there. It's, of course, been updated and upgraded over the years. It's funny. It took uh, $80,000 to build it back in 1943 to 48, and it took me $7 million just to replace some components of it. Yeah. <laughs> so inflation's real. Well, one of the things that um, has happened over the years um, with the development of the Innovation Campus, I'd, I'd like for you to talk just a little bit about that, is that's really driven research uh, growth on campus, particularly in aerospace, which you are um, actively involved in. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, we just recently also got a, a Build Back Better Regional Challenge Grant from uh, Department of Commerce, uh, Economic Development Administration, for $51 million. Mm -hmm. How has all that come together over the last several years? Sure. So if, if you remember back in 2014, that was still a golf course. And so I think in November of 2014 is when we took it offline as being a golf course. And um, at that point, I was, uh, Dr. Bardo had me over of what can we do with that. And, and everyone was talking about building a research park. So he, I went out and studied research parks and uh, – you know, there's over 180 of them attached to universities across the the United States. So we looked at a couple best in class uh, and went and visited them. And then we decided to do something totally different uh, is, uh, again, getting back to our heritage of and, and I've heard you say this many times is uh, being a public urban serving university. What's what are we best at? It's solving problems. And one of the problems they they had was uh startup time for new graduates of this this indirect startup time where they became productive and how can we change that and i think that's really the the heartbeat of the of the innovation campus and it's really the heartbeat of the university is solving problems and um how that then became less uh, how we can solve problems more effectively is having the companies on campus with us so that's that's how we kind of started that his you know with with Airbus being the first one and then it just dominoed after that yeah and there we almost have 50 companies either headquartered or have offices on our campus uh, working with our students over 6,000 students earning about 28 million dollars a year phenomenal success and um, you know just giving students that opportunity early on to get experience and then also money in their pocket to help them support their education. And as we as we went around, I think they, as other universities have came to see what we've done, I think that was a unique thing is having the companies on campus and which enables the students. Um, they, they, I've always told people they graduate Wichita State with, with not only a diploma, but a resume. Mm -hmm. And yeah, 
And you asked me about the Build Back Better. You know, that was just as we were looking around post post COVID nineteen recovery, and and President Biden was, hey, how how can I give the econ- the country an economy shot in the arm? That's when he developed this program, and. Um, there were 529 people that applied for this grant. Uh, it was down-selected to 60 across the country. Uh, I think there were nine from Kansas. We were the only one selected uh, from Kansas, and uh, we were fortunate enough to win it, one out of 21. Um, and ours is really focused on, if you look at the air capital of the world and what we really did good to become the air capital of the world is manufacturing. Uh, we, we, we were... We were in the industry 2.0, uh, which really brought in electricity and, and industrialization of how we make something, and then 3.0 with robotics, and now uh, even with the smart factory on campus, industry 4.0. And I think the Build Back Better grant was how can we really take that industry 4.0 from a manufacturing standpoint and look at all the things of digital engineering, the digital transformation that is also uh, one of the the underlying threads of the innovation campus as well, how we can use that in manufacturing. So one of our themes was additive manufacturing, Uh, especially for small and medium-sized companies. That seems to be, well, it's cool, but we can never afford to do it. We can never afford to be trained on it. And so I think the, the the Build Back Better program that we have is really focused towards how we can help these these small and medium-sized companies compete in the world of advanced manufacturing and, and the technologies. Because it used to be an artisan came in and made a part. Now it's ones and zeros. All the parts start out as ones and zeros in a digital world, and the machine makes the part. So yeah. I, th- I think being at the forefront of, of, of workforce training in that, and that's what that center is all about. And so... The point here, the, me asking you that question, is that we had a vision back in 2012 to take over a golf course, mm-hmm. put some infrastructure in place. You also, along the way, uh, NIAR Labs have expanded, you know, north of the town, south of town. I think you say 1.5 million square feet of, of, of space now that we have research labs. And that's really attracted a lot of other interest, and our research awards are just skyrocketing. We're just surpassed $270 million this last fiscal year. Can you talk a little bit more about um, how this infrastructure that we've been putting in place over the years in the innovation campus has attracted industry partners, Department of Defense, other sure. entities? Sure. And, you know, I, I hate to, to go back to this, but <laughs> it's really as simple as listening and solving problems. Yeah. I mean, and when you listen to a customer, they say, well, we really wish you had this type of capability or that type of capability, and we really want our students to be educated in this type of technology or that type of – it's it's listening and helping them solve problems. And, I, I mean, I, I know I'm oversimplifying that, but that that's really what it is. I mean, the, the Department of, of Defense, when they came to us with problems of readiness, which I, I know I see these models here as well, problems of readiness, it was just solving a problem is how do I get a part onto an aircraft? Yeah. Yeah. So that brings us to the next part of this <laughs> program. And those of you who are watching this can see some aircraft uh, here on this table. And I, I want us, you to step us through um, uh, what you're doing with this aircraft, why it's important, what problem were you trying to solve, and who are you trying to solve it for? Sure. So where do you want to start? Which one of these? Sure. I'll start with the B-1, but I'll, I'll, I'll kind of preface it of, again, 
solving the problem for the for the Department of Defense is uh, if you look at our aircraft, we we don't build new aircraft at the rates we did many years ago. Uh, so what's that mean is we have to use our current fleet of aircraft longer. And it's not only aircraft, it's our current vehicles as well. Um, so the the Department of Defense, um, they they knew this was a problem. And, you know, being being one of the most lethal nations on the face of the earth, I mean, you can't be very lethal if your aircraft don't fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were looking at it from the standpoint of, what is one of the problems of that's keep, keeping our readiness level down? And and the Government Accountability Office, the GAO, they did a report on this, and and this was back in 2018. And part of that was uh, diminishing manufacturing source, so the people who made the plane no longer existed, and parts obsolescence. Even if they made the plane, they're no longer making it, and they're not making those parts anymore. Mm-hmm. So right. that was really. The, the fundamental thread of the digital twin is solving that problem. How can I get, if, if the DOD needs a part, how can I get the part made? And uh, it was a conversation between uh, myself and Dr. Roper, Dr. Will Roper. He was uh, head of the Strategic Capabilities Office at that time, and it was actually in Senator Moran's office that uh, we were around a conference table in Senator Moran's office that he asked me the question is, you know, Readiness? Do you think you can do a digital twin of a whole aircraft? And I and I told him I said, I think so, <laughs> I think so. Uh, so um, th- then he funded us, and our first aircraft was an F-18, and that that was for the Marine Corps, and then it led directly to this this aircraft right here, which was we I showed. Want you to take that and. Um point out to folks what that is. So this is the B-1 bomber, and they call it the B-1 Lancer, B-1B Lancer. And, and it, it looks small here, but it's <laughs> gigantic. So, I've, seen it, I've seen it go down the highway before. So, um, and, 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 and for, for those of you who don't know, they, they, if they ever come to see Rick in his office, you're going to see these models. So right, I, yeah. I, I make sure he has them in his office so he can tell the story. But I'll tell the story of, of once we got done with the F-18, that was such a success that that's when the Air Force came and said, well, we, we've got problems with our, with our aircraft as well. And we went through the number one and number two problem, and both of them are sitting here. The number one problem at that time was the B-1B bomber as uh, the readiness levels have fallen below right around 50%. And so that means of the aircraft that we had, only 50% were able to fly. And then you look at from a training standpoint, and this aircraft, uh, um, they were going to reduce the numbers down to 45. So we only had 45 aircraft in the nation's arsenal of B-1 bombers and at a, at a readiness level of 50%. So that's really the the focus that we had here and if you remember if you look back in history this 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 particular aircraft was made by Rockwell Collins then it was taken over which is no longer in existence mm-hmm. yeah. taken over by Boeing and then you only have 45 of them that are in the existing fleet so uh, so <clears throat> you, you mentioned digital twinning and that's what you're working on with that particular what does that mean for the listeners who don't know a lot about this what are you doing with that aircraft sure um, so the digital twin, I mean, it means a lot of things to different people. But in a, if, if I simplify that, this plane was designed on, on paper. So if I need to make a part, you have to go to a paper drawing and, and decode that drawing, which was, was, was done many, many, many years ago. And you have to decode that drawing to make a single part. 
And that was really what the holdup was, is somebody didn't want to decode that drawing, which is a rather complicated drawing, and they call it the source of truth for a part, and then make only one or two parts. So they wouldn't, uh, basically, it would end up in a no-bid situation, even for the federal government that said, I'm willing to pay you anything for the part. They only need two of them. So two parts would cost as many as a thousand parts. So, but if we could change that drawing to a digital file and uh, then be, make it become ones and zeros again, and would you, then we asked the people that said they would no bid it, would you bid that part at that point? They said, of course I would. So we had to go through each and every part of the aircraft, literally each and every part, and change from a paper drawing to a digital drawing. And that's where our students really came in, is teaching our students to, to do that at a, uh, a lot of times they graduate college and then they go back and get trained on that. So doing that at the high school and the early college levels is really, it's a differentiator for our students. Yeah, and for those of you who are trying to get your head wrapped around this, so they're taking every piece of that aircraft apart and digitizing it. They actually have this uh, machine that scans every yes. part of it, and then they bring it into a, a, a software application and further manipulate it. Um, it's pretty impressive. Um, so let's move on. we got three other aircraft. So <laughs> I'm going to give this one to you and scoot okay. that one out of the way so you so, can talk about this helicopter. This was the next one. Um, of course, that was, that was an Air Force aircraft. And then the United States Army, uh, they said that they have the same issues as well. So people give the credit to the United States Air Force of having the most aircraft. Actually, that's the wrong. Uh, you're, you're incorrect. Who has the most flying aircraft is the United States Army. And they actually, if you add up all the aircraft that they, uh, the Air Force, the Marine Corps, and the Navy, they still don't reach the level of the Army. So the Black Hawk helicopter, which many people have seen, it's the UH-60. Uh, they, they make, uh, um, right now flying, it's the Lima the Mike and the Victor versions of those. So they were, there's, a, all, there's over 2,100 uh, Lima helicopters out there. So that's the, that's the, the make is a UH-60 Lima. And again, they were having the same problems of, uh, it's not in production anymore. Sikorsky does not make this helicopter anymore, but they have, we have 2,100 in the fleet that they're, they're not re re retire anytime soon. So again, how do I get parts for it? Um, so did the same thing that we did with the B-1, but again, supporting it from a rotary wing and with large numbers. Mm -hmm. So, And this one we actually did with Sikorsky. Um, so Sikorsky was a partner in this one because they didn't have the time or to go back and change all those paper drawings into digital files as well. And so uh, we're just talking about the blades, right? That no, we're talking about the whole helicopter. The whole, the whole helicopter. Okay. Yes. And then during that, you mentioned the blades, but during the process, um, they approached us with another problem of uh, readiness for helicopter blades. And so we yeah. did a we did a special program just for just for the blades of the. These are composite blades that are on uh, the Blackhawk and the Apache as well. And uh, every two hundred hours, these blades have to come off. And they have to be inspected, and it, it, and it was creating a log jam. And we create with with all of our principles that you see on the innovation campus of digital engineering and smart factory principles. We were able to build what we call Jarvis, 
It's a it's a automated rotor blade repair cell. So and it's it's right now we we tested it here and it's right now in Corpus Christi, Texas, where they do uh, depot work on these helicopters. And so that's keeping them in service. Uh, and I don't have this problem of not being able to fly. Correct. Um, and I think you told me at one point they do have another technique they could have used, but it takes it's all by hand. And it takes six months versus what it, actually it, it takes uh, the fastest they could do it when. I mean, some people will get different numbers, but we were around 36 days for one blade. And then when, when Jarvis takes over, we were hoping to get that down to two days. Wow. Yeah. Okay, let's scoot that one over and let's <laughs> go to this next one here. Uh, so, so what are we looking at there? This is, a lot of people will know this aircraft. This is a, 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 an F-16 Fighting Falcon, but the pilots like to call it the Viper. Uh, there's over 900 of these in our inventory for the United States Air Force. So it's a single engine uh, airplane, uh, but you've seen it in Iron Eagle and it's been around for a long time. But uh, this one is, we want to fly it for a long time. Uh, there, there's, uh, if, if you look at this one, I think it'll still be flying in the years 2040 and 2050. Wow. So. And um, when did they come into service approximately? Oh, uh, long time ago. It was 70s probably. Mm -hmm. uh, so almost 80 years they wanted to, to fly. Or Yes, and it's still performing very well. So this one, we, we did the digital twin, but this one was a little bit different because they said not only do we want parts, but we wanted, we wanted to stretch this a little bit more and look at uh, systems. So um, like hydraulic systems, fuel systems, and software systems, wiring. So I think that that's one of the fundamental changes that we did. If you look at our progression through our digital twins, this one would be the first one that, to do it from not only a structure side, but a, a hydraulic side. So if you think about how many times you change your iPhone, I mean, this aircraft's gone through a lot of, of upgrades with software and hardware inside it. But you need to know, do I have enough cooling for it? Do I have enough power for it? And so and the only way they can do that is put it in there and try it. So what we want to do is can we do it digitally? So students are working on so all, far, of these. all these projects. So listeners, it's important for you to understand <laughs> that not only are students, you know, learning in the classroom and in our other labs are actually getting to do real hands-on kinds of things to help solve this problem. Okay, so the last aircraft right over there. This one we just started. Um, this is the the AH-64 Apache. Uh, there's about 800 of these in service, uh, and this is a, a two-man gunship. Um, but again, same type of issues is they they need parts for it, and there's no replacement for this right now. Uh, the replacement for this is is called the uh, Future Attack and Reconnaissance Aircraft. They call it FARA. That's yet to be named. So keeping this keeping this aircraft flying, these eight hundred are also same same mission. Very important. Mm -hmm. And and are we doing the whole aircraft or just the rotors? Or? We're doing the whole aircraft. We're we're not doing the rotors and the engines on this one. We're 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 doing structure. Okay. So I hope the listeners understand that what we're trying to do or what you all are trying to do, your team's trying to do is help the military with sustainment of these aircraft. Absolutely. And it's a big issue for them. It's costly to design new aircraft all the time and these are still useful, um, but uh, uh, they need help with maintaining them and, 
and servicing them and so forth. And I, I, I still think that the one of the most special things that when we have a general comes in and or an admiral come in and they see what we're doing, it's hard to believe that you're taking every part of an aircraft apart with, with surgical procedure. So that's impressive. But when they walk away from Wichita State and they see students doing that, that's what that's when they know where we live in a, the country that we live in is they see college students doing this in an environment and learning things that's not really possible to learn in a textbook while they're in college. I mean, that's what really is makes them walk away proud. Yeah. And feeding that talent pipeline. Oh, absolutely. They're ready to, to go to work for companies that, you know, do related kind of and work the, or and, even NIAR. And they want the, and, and they want these, these people that are working on this, these students that are working on this, they want them to come back and work for the Army and the Air Force as well. Yeah. So civilian service. Yeah. So this is phenomenal, and there's a lot of other projects that we could have talked about today. But before we end it, I just want to also have you just briefly talk about some of the other problems you're trying to solve for uh, commercial aircraft or, or utilization of commercial aircraft like the uh, Boeing 777 and the MD-80, and just briefly talk about that as sure. well. Sure. One, um, one of the things that we've always tried to do is, is, you know, and part of our mission is be an economic driver. And ever since Boeing military left in 2012, they left a lot of capability down there where they did MRO, it's maintenance, repair, and overhaul for, for aircraft. And they primarily did it for military aircraft. But they left the infrastructure when they left in, in 2012. So, you know, being an economic development arm of, of, of our city is how can we replace when Boeing left? And we've always tried to get an MRO here. And um, after many, many times of working with the Greater Wichita Partnership, and we, we decided we were just going to grow our own. And, we, and that's when Kansas Modification Center started and they linked up with the university and with NIR, and we formed what we called NIR Works. And when they say, what does work stand for? It's where we put research to work. And what we did was we took the shell of what Boeing left and all the capability that was here interjected a student learning environment in there, and uh, we birthed a MRO operation out of, out of that. So right now, um, if you look at what... Um, What's happened with, with COVID is people quit flying overseas, but it actually uh, so much. So the dual air, dual aisle aircraft started getting parked in deserts. And at the same time, it's the perfect storm happened for, for what we're doing is people didn't want to sh go out to the mall and shop anymore because they were homebound. And so they started ordering more and more packages. And expecting and them to be delivered the very next day. Exactly. <laughs> and so so you, you have the perfect storm as I have an aircraft parked on the ground. I have a customer wanting more delivery faster. And so you add those two together and changing that passenger aircraft into a cargo aircraft where they carry your Amazon, FedEx packages, UPS packages. And so there's a need for that. And so that's really what we're concentrating on. Yeah. And... I want to just remind the listeners, too, and with the projects that we just covered here and the other ones that we didn't, but the modification work is employing hundreds of students. So oh, hundreds of students. I, how many are you at right now in terms of approximately? Uh, uh, all across all of NIRA, I think I'm right around 750 to 800 yeah. students. 
And these aren't just uh, students making photocopies. No. They're, they're, they're actually doing work, working on computer software, digitizing some of this um, work that for the digital twins and, and you know, also WSU Tech students who are, are learning how to work on aircraft. And one of the key things there is is if you look at the portfolio of, of how many people work in NIAR, there's about 1,600 and about eight, about half of those are students. And if you think about for every one student, they're paired up with somebody with a lot of experience of things that you don't really get in a textbook. Yeah. Uh, 30 years of experience passed on to somebody that that young is invaluable. Yeah, so working with an engineer, computer scientist, right. uh, someone like that. It's that applied learning on steroids. Yeah. Well, John, it's good to talk. Uh, we could probably spend another two or three <laughs> hours, and we'll probably have you back at some point. Um, it's good to talk to you about this. It's uh, As a reminder to our listeners, Wichita State is an urban public research university, and one of the main purposes is to help our community solve problems, help industry solve problems, and that's what this is all about. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, pleasure. And, yeah, good to see you. And thank you to everyone listening. We're taking a break for January, but we'll be back with fresh episodes in the new year. Happy holidays and go Shockers! <laughs>